When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 115. This opinion is brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and today I'm happy to celebrate our 150th episode with a special Patreon show. Three Patreons, Mike, Scott, and Miko, are joining me today to discuss some of the biggest questions of the preseason and some other news going on around the club. Miko will be joining me later on, but for now, Mike and Scott are here to help me out. Let's start with you, Mike. Where are we talking to you from? And let's break the ice by asking who your all-time favorite Barcelona player is. Great. I'm talking to you from Denver, Colorado, um, where I live. And I have an easy answer to this. It's it's not very original, but uh, my favorite player is definitely Messi. Well, Scott, now you've got the challenge because I don't think I'm going to allow you to say Messi. You can say Messi's your favorite, but then I'm going to need your backup. But uh, Scott, where are we talking to you from? I'm in uh, Brooklyn, New York, and um, uh, I guess I'm a little more historical, although I was not around for this time, but um, definitely definitely Cruyff, just given the the global uh, uh, contributions made uh, to the club and identity over decades. Well, I think Messi and Cruyff are are pretty pretty simple, pretty easy easy picks. Uh, Again, not too obscure there. But uh, let's get it started here today with a question from Doug in the closed Facebook page. What are Valverde's strengths? If we want to see him and the team succeed, what in his past illustrates what that path may look like? So, Mike, I'll let you go first on this one. Uh, we are complimenting Valverde today. <laughs> well, that, that's not too hard for me. I'm actually not a not a hater of, uh, of Valverde. So, I, I guess the I would say like the, the strengths are that they're the um, the continuity he sort of gives to the team throughout the whole season. 
I, I think we mostly see kind of the best team week in and week out. Um, of course, there's some variations in that, um, but the team sort of seems to have a consistency that, you know, I think you need over the course of the long season. It certainly helps in, in competing in the league in particular. I think the weaknesses are, and, and, I, and I hope that this gets addressed this season a little bit, is how wedded he is. Sort of the other, other side of the consistency coin is how wedded he is to certain players uh, and not giving opportunities to others and not, not having sort of competition at particular spots that pushes those sort of anointed starters to be the best that they can be. Yeah, Scott, what about you weighing in on that? Um, I would say, I, I think given, I think it's notable that there hasn't been a lot of dramatics going on. I think given um, some of the uh, difficulties they've had towards the end of the season, that there there is a consistency, but there's, I think the, the issue on the other side is that there's not really a sense of urgency. I mean, it really, they really are um, uh, built for the long term over the course of a full season. But I think, you know, when, when you're playing the one game that you really need to win and you need to dig into kind of something more uh, kind of deeper and passionate, that seems to be kind of where, where they get a little lost. Yeah, when, I think when it comes to stability, and that is the, the greatest compliment to Valverde, but the one point I add that it's not a knock on Valverde, but in his coaching career, uh, even going back through from Valencia, Olympiacos, and we know what he recently has done in, at Bilbao uh, in, in those five seasons there, but he's coached Villarreal. Uh, and Espanyol for three seasons, and again, Bilbao uh, the first time for three seasons. Because he's only spent a limited amount of time at each of those clubs, the third season here at Barcelona, it, it winds up being, and again, it is difficult being the manager at one of these top, top clubs, and whether it's Chelsea or Manchester United, or uh, now Man City has Pep, so put a asterisk next to that, he, he's going to get a, a long leash. But at all of these major top clubs in the world, managers don't, regularly last even three seasons anymore but that said in his career he hasn't really last more than three seasons many times uh but in those times in those third seasons or even those second seasons he winds up getting the next job not because of failure uh, not often uh has he kind of been por- pushed out or has there been a point where he hasn't been trusted by management his rise up through has been a, a slow rise and not even from established club to the next level but again moving from Espanyol to Greece to Villarreal back to Greece then Valencia Bilbao which you'd say is lower than Valencia then the jump up to Barcelona so uh, for the winding career path he has I I think you guys are right that he's always added that consistency and stability uh, that I think has been helpful to to the squad and uh, to his mission and with the kind of talent that he has at his disposal this season where it's an attack that has got even stronger how do you guys think the top five at the moment, that being Messi, Suarez, Griezmann, Dembele, and Coutinho, is going to shake out? And if you do think Coutinho is going to play in the uh, pl- is, would play in the midfield, and if that's a possibility, then you can give me that answer as well. So Scott, I'll let you start there. Um, I I think the big question is, I mean, I, the I think question is who's kind of the odd odd one out, and I mean, I think in that situation you would have to say it's most likely to start Coutinho. But then with that said, I mean, I think there's through the course of the season and going back to the consistency, you know, there's so many injury problems that I think reliably there will be space for everybody. Um, but I think I, I, I'm assuming that there's no more uh, uh, changes going on uh, through through the transfer window. I would assume that you would start kind of with a l- little more uh, quickness 
Um, I think you have Griezmann up front, and I think that that's going to be, um, uh, I don't know to what extent he's going to overlap on what con- uh, Coutinho's contributions are, but I don't. I, I think you would want a little bit stronger of a midfield than having continue, Coutinho going too far back. And so I would assume that he, he would be the odd one out and kind of he would, he would come in, you know, as needed. But with that said, I think with Griezmann coming in, uh, it's just such a big variable in terms of how who's going to click with who. And, I mean, he is such a great team player in that way. I, I just I really wonder if the first the first little bit of the season is going to be, and especially the group stages of the Champions League, is just really just figuring out who's gelling. Well, who do you think is going to be uh, gelling the best, Mike? Um, I, it's it's going to be really fun to watch. Um, I think we're going to see a Messi-Suarez-Griezmann line uh, from the start. And I think... And I think and I hope we're going to see uh, the best of uh, Luis Suarez, which maybe we didn't see through most of last season. Um, he seems to be highly motivated back in training five days early. He looks fit, uh, more fit than we've seen him show up uh, at the beginning of the season the last couple of years. And um, he's really the only true number nine. Uh, and I think Valverde wants to play that way. Um, but uh, there's a lot of options there. And if things aren't, if things aren't going perfectly or going really well, uh, from the start, I could see Dembele moving in uh, with Griezmann sort of moving to the middle and Messi to the uh, to the right side or Messi in the middle, maybe in a false nine row with Dembele on the right and Griezmann on the left. There's a lot of things you can play with there. I'm really I'm, I'm, I'm kind of over Coutinho. Um, I think like most fans, I would still love to see him sold, um, to be honest with you, before the season starts and and for Malcolm to be the the, the fifth guy in the mix there. Mainly, not because I think Malcolm's necessarily better than Coutinho, but I think just think Coutinho, uh, sort of playing that that fifth uh, that fifth man role is just not going to sit well with him, and we're not going to we're not going to see the best of him. Sort of how we how we saw sort of a dissatisfied guy on the field last year, um, and he certainly just he's not what he was when he was at Liverpool, or even even how he looked uh, early in the season last year. I don't see him in the midfield at all um, because the midfield, I think, is already crowded uh, enough and, and, and with guys who are ahead of him, especially with De Jong coming in and, and Arthur hopefully you know, having more stamina this year, uh, having a European season under his belt. So I like Messi, Suarez, Griezmann to start. I love Dembele. I want to see Dembele get lots of options. I think there's a lot of um, sort of formations that, that Valverde can use with those four, and I would put Coutinho as sort of like a distant fifth in that, in that group if he's not sold. I also wonder if it's going to be very circumstantial while you're, where you'll have uh, uh, certain lineups for certain situations. I mean, I just I think Dembele was such a such a missing piece in that second leg um, against Liverpool. And I, I think he's you just would want to see that kind of in the bigger games, having just that that bit of speed on the wing that can really uh, uh, throw another team off. And I think adding Griezmann to that mix where he's very much that similar kind of player is just I mean, that's it's going to be absolutely amazing if it works. I completely agree with that as well, Scott. And and, uh, and and there are certainly lots of tactical formations that can be used here, and especially with Messi and Suarez, both uh, you know, at 32 years old, we're gonna as efficient as Messi is, and we know he he's, he's he can play almost uh, you know every game, but he's gonna have to start taking more time off. Suarez definitely needs time off. Um, I, I think we'll see a lot of Dembele, and I really hope we do. Yeah, the two points that I really like that you guys brought up was one. Uh, you know, obviously Griezmann being the newcomer is going to be the key. And Dembele, whose chemistry with Suarez did improve over the course of last season, I thought, when Dembele was able to stay healthy and when Suarez was healthy, it did improve, but it wasn't at the top level that I think it could reach. But Griezmann, the way that he combines with uh, Diego Costa and that we've seen that he works with his number nines at Atletico Madrid, uh, that, that the, the, 
trust that you'd have that Messi and Suarez, that partnership can extend to then Griezmann working with Suarez uh, and off him like that. It, it really does seem to be that we could have some magic created up top. And again, that's not a knock on Dembele. And then uh, to the other point, that Coutinho in that lineup is a diff- diff- uh, distant fifth. And then later on when Miko and, uh, and I are going to be discussing the midfield, as you mentioned, Mike, with Sergio Roberto moving into the midfield, uh, that's going to change things up even more. I think that shows that Valverde, by putting now Roberto back in the midfield, uh, I don't know. I, I think it seems like Coutinho business might already be happening behind the scenes. Uh, again, I, I don't. I think we're done talking about Neymar, as we've said, and it seems like the hitches in the Junior Furpo deal uh, are that Real Batiste is either asking for too much money, but that might be because Barcelona don't have the funds at the current moment. Uh, and if they're afraid to sell Coutinho for less than they paid for him, well, obviously that's going to be the case. And the one thing that does make me weary and make me think about Coutinho, and this will be the next question for you guys, it seems like in all of our minds that Coutinho is already gone. As we talked about, I, I think we all agree he is fifth on the attacking depth chart and then on the midfield depth chart I don't know where he is because they added De Young. they added a guy who should maybe be a member of the starting 11 and so how does Coutinho fit into that but then you think with Real Madrid having this whole saga over getting rid of Gareth Bale who I can't think of a footballer who's farther out the door already while still being with the club and then the potential that Barcelona might not be shopping Coutinho as aggressively as Madrid are shopping Bale he very well could be staying another season just because Barcelona aren't happy with the numbers. But, I mean, that's going to be the big question. If he is even here next season, where is he possibly going to play? Uh, and is there any way, if he has less playing time, to rectify that career? I think, again, you both said that you hope he is sold. But if he isn't, what kind of role do you think he can carve out this season? It's a very difficult question. I, I mean, that's why I hope he's sold, because I don't want uh, Valverde to need to answer that question. I think any time he gets in the front line, you know, comes at the expense of Dembele, um, which I don't want to see. I'd rather see Dembele out there um, getting as much time as he can while, if he's healthy. And in the midfield, um, I like Artur ahead of him. I like uh, De Jong ahead of him. You know, I like that, you know, if Rakitic is still here. He's clearly ahead of Coutinho. Um, you know, we want to see guys like Alan Jan, Puch, We, uh, I think everyone, you know, the Barca family wants to see that. Um, see those guys get more time on the field. So, and, and, and like you said, Roberto moving back to the midfield, which I also think is a positive move. Um, I never really liked him at right back um, as a solution there. So all those developments in the midfield are, are, are very positive, but I just don't see a, a role for Coutinho there. Um, his only role is in the front line. And I think that that comes at the expense of Debele and, and I don't want to see that. So I don't know if that's very responsive uh, to what, you know, what kind of role do I see him carving out? I guess my answer is I don't really see him carving out. Um, yeah, it's fair. That's fair. A space there, and 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 that's why I'd like to see him move on because you know that just creates tensions and problems within the club as well. When you have a player of his stature, you know, with his um, with his transfer fee and his his wages, um, really not having a role on the field, that's that's just not a good situation. Yeah, I think after. You know, after after a, a kind of you know a few months away from play, uh, uh, watching the Chelsea match, it, it really just brought home kind of how I mean how complete of a front there is and how complete of a midfield there is in a lot of respects. And I look at that in the context of Coutinho, and I just it's very hard to see how he's going to fit other than um, kind of in a not in a filler circumstance per se, but again very you know very situational. But even if he's situational, um, you know I think even what we saw Valian uh, Puig like you. 
you want to see those players play more, especially you want to see them develop over the course of the year. Whereas with Coutinho, you kind of want to legitimize a purchase that was hastily made uh, a couple of years ago. And I just, it's hard to kind of, it's it's hard to legitimize that with such a, a great, great complete team. And then again, with, I think there's some interest in developing some of the younger players. And I think, you know, aside from Dembele, the, it's not, it's not a young attack. Um, uh, I don't know to what extent De Young would be kind of a similar role as what Coutinho is. I think Coutinho plays a little bit further ahead, so I just don't I don't know what role he has. Um, and it, it's you know sad to say that, but then I think you have a contract that goes on for another you know four or five years, and so it's really just a you're kind of mitigating the expense you've already put in. And you know, do you put him out on loan? Do you try and you know do you try and move him, or do you just try and make him work? And I think something that another thing Valverde is not very good at even though I like Valverde generally is I, he doesn't seem to be creative with the roles of players in a lot of respects. And so mm-hmm. I just, I just don't know if a new position would be created for him. You know, Dan, if you'll indulge me a uh, pet peeve for a second, one, one of my pet peeves with the club, and, and this is not, this is not unique to Barcelona or even to soccer is, is these internal valuations. You know, we see these reports, Oh, they, they value him at a hundred million or 120 million euros yeah. and they purchased him for X amount and they want to get most of that back. I mean, he is worth what the market says he is worth. Right. And and if we, you know, if Liverpool or United would take him right now for 80 million euros, which I think they probably would, um, you know, I would do that in a heartbeat. It's it's the, whatever we paid for him is sunk cost and it's not coming back. You know, that decision was made. You got to make the best decision now. And in addition, as far as we understand it, I know we don't have perfect information on this. Um, there are a lot of, uh, you know, variables that would that we would have to pay going forward. You know, every time Coutinho plays a game, he, he works towards another variable or we're successful in the league again or, you know, hopefully win the Champions League. There's bonuses that get paid out to Coutinho. You know, I, I, I just think you, you, your internal valuation is meaningless. Like if mm-hmm. we can move him out for 80 million and he's surplus to requirements, then that's what the club should do. Yeah, and with my, you know, I, as we all know, my normal here's my normal basketball talk from every for every show that you know when I look at you look at a, a thing like the NBA draft right where these kids coming out of college a promising freshman that's only 18 years old that could be developing this something he's going to be valued much higher in the lottery and selected much higher than the college senior who's 22 years old been playing four years and you know what he is and that does hold true as well I think with club evaluations internally as well where you know Puj. That's, I mean, yes, it was smart to get his release clause so high because obviously in Spain you could have it triggered and then the player is gone. So to have a, a Puj, I, I think it's not unrealistic from the club, not just fans to say, oh, a shiny new toy. But I think even a club, it's easier and they should be, as all clubs should, to put more value on their younger players even as far as uh, what they're sold for than a player like Coutinho because, as you said, Coutinho is a well-known commodity. He's, we've seen what he did for, what he did for Liverpool People have seen what he was at Barcelona. That is what who Coutinho is. He's in his late twenties. Is he going to really change that much? I, I I doubt that. Well, not necessarily late twenties, but you know he's again he's been an established professional for quite a few years now. Uh, and at the we'll say he's basically at his peak. Uh, so club evaluations, I think internally, uh, they only really matter truthfully when it comes to younger players, as we even just saw with Xavi Simone's leaving the club, and we don't obviously have all the information there. Uh, it seems like, again, people quickly want to just say that it was all about money, PSG, or whether obviously it's his, 
it's his agent um, in Riola, or it's his father who actually commanded a lot of those uh, negotiations, whether it was about money or PSG or whatever it was. But it seems like the club didn't value him as much as they did Ansu Fati and EX Moriba. So we do trust that EX Moriba and Ansu Fati are, uh, or are seen as players with greater potential to Barcelona because of the way that we've seen the club uh, financially put their backing behind them as opposed to to other players. Uh, and I think that does, uh, again, also make us consider that uh, why I think fans are fair to be out on a player like Coutinho is to that same reason, that we don't know what Puj is capable of, and I think it's fair for fans, and fans do this. We, we want to watch the young players develop because you don't know who they could be, and you think that they could all be the next Messi, uh, potentially, or the next Xavi, or Nesta in the midfield, or whoever it may be. But to that end, Barcelona, the way the squad is set up is that they we have our established vets. It's not like Valverde is going to put out a, a bunch of young players in their early 20s and expect to win trophies. They have Messi and Suarez and Busquets and Rakitic and Vidal and Ter Stegen and Piquet and, and Alba. And the core of Barcelona is built still with veterans. So they have to be adding young pieces or Barcelona are going to suffer. And Coutinho still has legs. But again, is Coutinho really part of this vision? Can he... As I, can he kind of divide himself through two generations and be part of that transition from what we'll call the old hats in at the club and comparing that to Elena, De Jong, Artur, and Puj, who are all around that same age as well. Uh, and I think this brings up the point about the changes currently going on at youth level uh, with Pep Segura after all this time. And, of course, his name has been run through the mud for years now. Uh I, whether or not he's truly said these things, he's been attributed with behind the scenes saying how he valued players who had more physical attributes, uh, as they say that they do in the French academies uh, and, so, and a lot of times in the Italian academies, more than he does the smaller technical players. And again, due to the success of Xavi and Iniesta and Messi, that seems to rub a lot of Kool-Aid the wrong way. Uh, whether, or not, whether or not it's true, it's become, uh, it's become dogma, uh, unfortunately, for Segura. But it seems like his replacement, and this might even be done and dusted by the time this podcast is, is out, that it is Patrick Cloyvert who has officially returned to the club. And we'll see exactly if it's in Segura's capacity. Uh, and then Victor Valdez has also returned to the club as the coach of the Humano Oz, so he will get a lot of time with on the aforementioned Ansu Fati and Moriba. Now, I just, it's a blanket. I'm not going to be too specific with a question. Uh, Mike, Scott, Mike, I'll have you go first on this one. What do you think of the changes that have happened this offseason? Well, I definitely think overall they're really positive. Um, I, I don't want to get carried away because I think sometimes we have a tendency to overstate, um, you know, what we really know about the internal politics of the club and, you know, all bad things that have happened at Barcelona over the last any number of years are always seem to be attributed or laid at the feet of Pep Segura. I don't know if that's true or not, but it, but in general, um, I like bringing in uh, former players um, I, I particularly really like Victor Valdez, um, not only as a player, but I like in interviews with him. I, I like the the thoughtfulness he um, he demonstrates and sort of his introspective views on the game. He really thinks about the game and thinks about uh, life and uh, you know young people. So uh, him coming back to the club uh, yeah, as a coach at, at Juvenil A, I think is just fantastic. Um, Clive Erd, uh, obviously is a guy who's been around a long time. He's he's a Barca guy, you know. So I'm, I'm definitely happy with these changes. My understanding, too, is that Abidal is sort of getting more power in this, um, in this shakeup as well. I think that's also a positive. I've liked, what he's, I've liked what's happened since he sort of got more influence over the transfer policy. I thought we did really well last summer, with, um, in particular with Longley and Artur. Um, so I, 
and, 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 and the large role he played, I'm sure, in, in, the, um, in the transfers this summer as well. Um, so overall, I think it's, it's really positive. I, I think it might be bringing us back to our roots a little bit. You know, people, I, I'm, not, I'm not a big flag waver of the Barcelona faith. You know, I don't like, you know, the, the game changes and we need to change with it a little bit. But overall, I like, uh, I like the adherence to, to the Cruyffian philosophy. And I think that this, these changes probably, and the commitment to La Masia. And I think that these changes probably bring us back closer to that. And so I'm happy with them. Yeah, I think I definitely would call myself uh, kind of more of a traditionalist. I think that's something that's always attracted me to this club is, you know, kind of uh, taking a certain philosophy with regards to uh, uh, developing players, having an open mind. I mean, I think Segura and, you know, the state, you know, claims made of statements made um, it's and actions done, it's, you know, it, it is kind of antithetical and it is, I mean, I think maybe one thing that could be said about the modern club, and I, it, this goes back to, again, to kind of what Valverde represents and, you know why why certain signings are made and why they're not necessarily moved on is that there's a there's a strong interest in consistency. I mean, do you want to take big risks or do you want to kind of maintain a certain level of consistency? But the issue with that over time is that you do lose a bit of the identity, especially if you're kind of more on the philosophical spectrum. I mean, this is not a pragmatic club in a lot of respects, and so I think. Uh, bring, bringing in people who do understand kind of the the more essential aspects of the the philosophy of the club, and uh, hopefully again with De Jong, I really I really hope that he represents kind of a a, a new spirit of bringing in uh, a more kind of young and fluid style. Um, I hope that this kind of it, it goes in that direction. But again, we'll just have to kind of see how effective this all is. Yeah, changes like these are really only ever positive in hindsight. You know, that's that's just that's just that's, a, that's just the way things work. Um, Instead of looking to the past, we're going to continue to look to the future. Uh, and a question, I, Scott, we're going to start with you on this. Outside of Barcelona, now this is all of La Liga. The idea, and uh, I, I urge people to go back to my conversation last week with Robbie Dunn. We did a team-by-team team preview. We actually did not speak about FC Barcelona last week. We did a team-by-team team preview, basically, of all the transfer activity up to that point. There hasn't been too much more, I think, uh, when I have to start by saying Leganes did some more spending, uh, that tells you how many, how few moves have still happened in the, in the past week. But some still more could happen in the transfer window in the Liga. But that said, a lot of major moves have already happened. And it seems like the Liga has, it's got itself more talented, not less. And with that said, the Liga being a little deeper, everybody's going to talk about the Champions League. The global media, national media, wherever they may be, are going to talk about the Champions League. Uh, Copa del Rey is now different as well. Knockout. Uh, again, up to the semifinals, and Miko and I are going to talk about that a little later. But with the knockout format in the Copa del Rey making Barcelona, it's going to limit their matches a little bit as they enter that in the round of 32. And then semifinal winds up being being two legs. Uh, but for those kind of changes happening outside of the Liga, La Liga is going to be that same grind it always is. Uh, Scott, again, starting with you, what are your top five teams going into the Liga? How do you think it's going to shake out? I would say I still think Barcelona is still going to be the strongest team. I think even with regards to consistency um, of the top clubs, they'll have been the most consistent. I think even on that basis, um, I still think they're the they're the front runner. I think they're the best club, but also I, I do think even and this might benefit continue as well is that it's kind of another year of a, a, a team kind of marinating. And I think while there might be some new additions that have come in this year, um, I still think that they have such a great core that's just going to keep playing well. Um, second, I probably going to go it's it's hard with uh, uh, uh real versus atletico i think atletico went they're, they're kind of the i would say they're the highest risk highest reward uh, uh, of the kind of uh, bigger clubs um 
but I would say that Atletico is probably going to do better than Real, and then I would say probably Real second. Um, then I'd probably go um, uh, Sevilla, and then um, I'm not sure for number five. I'm going to say those are my top four, which is pretty generic. Yeah, completely fair. Uh, yeah, I think Sevilla, with all the changes they've, they've made, uh, they're another one that we spoke about last week with all the different new players in, a lot of which are younger, unproven, uh, coming from, from France, uh, or, again, lower levels. So we're going to have to see, and lower levels, I mean, in, in terms of, of, of club status. So we're going to have to see how they mesh all of that together. And so Sevilla, I think, is going to be the, an interesting feast or famine one. And you mentioned, too, Atletico Madrid. Things are going to be different on the field. It's going to be maybe a little more exciting, but it's still under Diego Simeone, so it might not be any more exciting. In the same way, they've lost a lot of voices in the locker room. So for all that Diego Godin last season had, may have lost in terms of uh, losing a step or just not looking like himself, we don't know what kind of leadership he was continuing to bring. We expected it was all positive to the locker room and what Atletico might be missing with that. So, um, Mike, we're going to throw it to you, the, the same question. You give me a top four, you can give me a top five. Uh, how do you think it's going to shake out? Sure. I also want to uh, echo Scott's comment. That was a great show uh, you did the other, the other day, running through all the clubs. Barcelona, I think, is going to run away with it again this year. I think we're going to go box to wire, and I don't think we're going to be challenged. Atletico, I think, is going gonna, is gonna to be second again for the third year in a row. Um, I think it might take a little bit of time for them to sort of get all on the same page, but I like what they've done in the offseason, and um, not necessarily with losing some of the people they lost, but I think that they've um, they've replaced that uh, the lost talent very well, and I think they're gonna they're gonna be a great side. Um, here's my hot take: I'm not so sure Real Madrid's gonna come in third. How about that? Um, <laughs> well, this is a perfect. This is a perfect place I, to have that hot take, Mike. This, I, this is a very I, safe I, space for that hot take. <laughs> yeah, I think they're a mess. I think Zidane's not gonna last two months or three months. Um, I think I think a lot of the problems they've had they had last year and that were evident even the year before when Zidane jumped ship are still there and, and really not getting much better. I don't think they've done that great. Um, Hazard's a great player, but other than that, I don't think they've done that well in the, in the, in the transfer market this summer uh, in terms of, you know, really bringing in guys that are going to challenge for starting positions. Um, and then, uh, you know, they'll probably end up third uh, regardless, but um, I think that Valencia and, even Sevilla, if everything sort of comes together, like you said, it's a big high-risk, high-reward situation for them. But I think I think one of those two teams could challenge for third, and they will probably, uh, you know, round out the top five. And then I would I would throw in there uh, Betis and and Real Sociedad this year that maybe one or two of them can also be up there and they'll be competing for the European spots. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we always talk about with Valencia having now worked through the Champions League as well, that might hurt their domestic campaign a little bit. Uh, and having missed on that, Real Batiste and Real Sociedad focusing just on La Liga, having done all that work to make their squads better, uh, that could give them an advantage in pushing for Europe uh, and even a Champions League spot. So, yeah, that's a good call there, Mike. Uh, and a lot of good calls here made by both Mike and Scott. Uh, thank you guys both so much for joining the show and most importantly thank you for being patrons these are the guys that keep this show going again uh you might hear some stuff changing in the future in terms of uh, uh you might hear some ads you might hear some things changing but for up to this point for the last you know two plus years uh there has been just our patrons helping us to keep these shows and it would not be happening without guys like mike and scott so thank you to you both very much for joining the show today 
Thank you, Dan. Yeah, and um, I, I would just also like to say, I mean, thank you, Dan. I mean, I don't think it's very often, you know, you have Patreons on the show. And so, I mean, it's, you know, we, we contribute as a, a sign of, you know, faith and gratitude to everything that you and your guests do. And we, we really hope you uh, uh, continue and all, all the best success going forward. All right. Yeah, thanks to both these guys. And now let's hear from Mitko. And now for the second part of our show, I am pleased on our 150th episode, our special Patreon episode, to bring Mitko back on the show. You were all introduced to Mitko all the way back when Frances did our first Patreon show, uh, as well as having heard from Mike on that episode as well. But Mitko has returned to us, and Mitko, as I asked Mike and Scott as well, where are we talking to you from? And let's break the ice as well with you by asking who your all-time favorite Barcelona player is. Uh, hi Dan, uh, thanks thanks for um, putting me on the show. It's great pleasure to be here and to talk to you and to the other guys. I'm uh, phoning in from Germany, uh, being uh, Frankfurt. I've been living here since a uh, couple of years and working, working in the finance and law sphere of economics. So um, yeah, Frankfurt now is uh, let's say a second most, a second biggest hub. In Europe for that, and uh, unfortunately not a real football hub. Uh, not not yeah. many Barca fans here, but um, well, we have our TVs, we have uh, internet connections, so we can still track uh, what's going on with the club. My favorite player, I think probably it will be probably it will be Xavi. I mean, it's very it's very I mean difficult to say anyone between Messi, Xavi, Iniesta, Puyol, but but I, I picked Xavi because he really. Um, mirrors um, the key elements which made me fell in love with the Barcelona and with the um, style of play that this club has for the last couple of decades. So um, I'm picking Xavi on that one. So if there are other Kool-Aids in Frankfurt and you're actually listening to the show, uh, you can uh, click on Mitko's name down in the description and give him a tweet. And uh, again, maybe you guys can see a game sometime, uh, Mitko. But for now, you're going to be here on the pod helping me answer some questions today. And now with Scott and Mike, we discuss the forward line. So, Mitko, I want to talk about the midfield here. We've got Busquets, right. Rakitic, Vidal, Coutinho, De Jong, Roberto, Alenia, Arter. Now, I did mention Coutinho in there because we're gonna we're just playing the game today of having uh, not really knowing exactly where he'll play this season. Uh, expecting it to be the forward line, as we talked about earlier, but it could be in the midfield. Now, I mentioned all of those eight players. Realistically, looking at last spring, when Alenia had his minutes, we'll say cut down uh, as the matches uh, intensified, if you will. Realistically, you have to pick five players to get minutes for those three midfield spots. Of those eight players, how do you think that rotation goes? So I would say give me a depth chart here by uh, Mikko. I'm going to need three starters, starting 11, back against the wall. This is who Valverde is going to go. And I guess if you want to answer this this way, you can say give me your three, but also if you want, give me the three that you think Valverde might throw out there and then give me the two guys that are going to come off the bench. Okay, okay, let's do it. Um, So my starting three would be De Jong, not Busquets. Because I want uh, the, the the new guy who already uh, shown a lot of qualities and obviously we know him since since a couple of seasons and uh, also uh, the great uh, Champions League campaign that he had last year. So um, I want the young to feel into the Busquets steps there. Um, there is of course a lot to learn from him, um, but maybe if he can do like 
60-40 of the time on that position. That would be great in my view. I know that this is not the, the let's say, the most probable lineup because all the, uh, let's say, um, sport journalists and other people on Twitter, um, they are they are saying that probably he will be on the left, um, on the midfield, so uh, in, uh, interior. But I would like him to see on a Busquets role because actually we do not have a guy like Busquets coming through the through the, the La Masia, and we are, as far as I know, we are not looking to buy anyone. So uh, I would really would really like the young to be to be that guy. And moving forward, uh, obviously, uh, I mentioned Xavi is the guy who represents what I like most about Barca. So <laughs> it would be Arthur. I remember first couple of matches that I saw this guy that he he really resembles Xavi. He really moves like him, and I don't know if you, I don't know, change the hair, change the shirt, then it becomes Xavi, um, in a way, or maybe the little one. So um, I, I like Arthur there, and I want so I, I it would it, it probably would be Rakitic, because um, because he he's like. But we're his favorite. Let's put it this way. Um, if it if it was up to me, I would like to have Coutinho there. I know it's controversial, but f- for me, Coutinho, let's he's he's not a bad player. You know, he's been he's been um, on the job, of course, uh, having uh, a lot of uh, ups and downs in his time in Barcelona. But I think if we if we play him the right spot, then he can definitely grow into the role of being this. Uh, Iniesta replacement that he would never be, but this is this is why we bought him, right? So it would be the young Arthur and Coutinho, and there is a lot of versatility there. There is a lot of technique. There is a lot of uh, ball possession and ball movement. There are passes through the lines, and there is also the um, capability of those guys to break through lines and also um, go into the attacking play. Uh, obviously, I want to get get rid of the let's say, uh, yeah, of the hustlers in the team. Vidal being the greatest one. I mean, he is a great player. Don't don't get me wrong, but I'm not so fixed on um, controlling the game by not allowing the other team to counterattack. I'm a lot more into the philosophy of controlling the game through possession of the ball and picking um, uh, picking the right spot for for the pressure play. Unfortunately, as I mentioned, I think Rakitic will stay unless something happens this summer and we sell that guy. Um, Busquets will most definitely play more minutes than I would like to. Um, and I think for the third spot, there will be De Jong and Arthur playing probably 50-50 of the minutes. This is what I think Valverde would go for. Yeah. Um, apart from that, the other two guys get minutes, in my opinion, are um, indeed Alenia. I mean, we, 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 we love that guy, not not only because he's La Masia guy, but he really showed qualities. He showed uh, willingness to step in. And this is this is all it takes for me to get to that fourth or fifth spot in the midfield and play more and more minutes. 
I mean, we, let, let's don't forget that back then, 12 years ago, something uh, Xavi and Iniesta, they weren't regular starters at the beginning of their careers. It took a lot of time and a lot of patience, a lot of seasons for them to develop. And um, obviously, Alenia is not talking about leaving the club. So maybe he has all the three, in my opinion, key elements to to break into the first team for, for a long period right now. So willingness, talent and patience. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm in love with Ricky Puch, right? But uh, I don't think he'll get so many minutes. Yeah. Well, I think going even back to your initial point of that three in the midfield, uh, 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 and you mentioned a midfield three potentially of De Jong in that defensive midfield role, which he didn't. He isn't the player that Busquets is, obviously, but we saw what he did with Ajax, uh, just still yeah. having the mobility at his young age to go pick up the ball deep from, uh, and his dribbling ability moving forward as well, dynamically opens up a lot of spaces for other people. And yes, Artur, not Xavi. And it is unfortunate that we compare all of the midfields to the peak midfield of Xavi, Iniesta, or Busquets. However, we can define those as the epitome of those roles that we continue to want the Barcelona midfield to try to replicate. So having De Jong and saying, okay, that's the Sergio Busquets role, saying Artur, while he is not peak Xavi, uh, maybe yet or maybe ever, he does have a, a similar ability to pace and control a game. And then that leaves, and when you mentioned Rakitic as Valverde favorite potentially being a third regular or mainly a uh, again starting 11 starter if you will for Valverde at the other position I do again remind that I, I know Twitter will ex- explode after every preseason match after everything about how all Rakitic does is pass backwards but having Rakitic in the days that he was at Sevilla or again asking him almost to change his game again for a third time as when he showed up to Barcelona he was uh, became a much more defensive player than he was at Schalke or Sevilla earlier on in his career uh, and then with Barcelona as he changed he also changed his role for Croatia and so asking him for a third time to go uh, back to being a little more of a uh, actually as he was almost in 2015 when he showed up uh, for Barcelona a more forward thinking forward passing chance taking player and almost comparing the role he would have to Iniesta and trying to fill those boots. It's a difficult thing to do, uh, but it is plausible and potentially possible because Rakitic does have that work engine. And with Arter and De Jong, I don't have the fear of being overrun uh, with older legs. And that's the issue, again, of playing Vidal, Rakitic, and Busquets. That's the nightmare situation, I think, for a lot of people uh, with a midfield three, just that defensively there aren't, uh, they're not just going to have the legs. But having... Two of De Jong and Arter, um, and then Alenia potentially being a third, particularly with where we didn't even mention Sergio Roberto uh, being in that mix as well. And then you mentioned Coutinho, and I think, again, offensively, th- that's where the comparisons lie, of having De Jong as the defensive midfielder, Arter playing the Xavi role, and Coutinho obviously playing the Iniesta role, uh, which, which, which makes the most sense. Uh, but again, we don't know where Coutinho's going to be. Uh, he might not be at Barcelona at all, but most likely he could be on the wing, could be in midfield. Uh, there's a lot, again, still up in the air, but trying to fit guys in in those positions, again, I think De Jong so fundamentally changes. Even though he's the only new addition there, he so fundamentally changes the way the team plays. Uh, and me, uh, in particular, I've really enjoyed watching him and Alanya in the preseason in that first game, uh, particularly. Um, just the the ways that they work together and the ways that their skill sets complement one another, uh, I think is a really bright thing. And for me, Vidal... He's playing this role where he's supposed to have a lot of legs and he's supposed to come out, and he does that. He's, as you mentioned, he's the hustler. 
but he's also post 30. So as he continues to hustle, how much more is he going to be able to do and how much more is his legs going to be able to withstand uh, if he just doesn't have the the ability to close out and continue to play defense in, in a way that a guy 10 years his junior might do so I, I Miko I think you're right on a lot of different points and the possibilities that are there uh, and I think it's really telling that uh, I don't think he'd be the only one here that when you list it out Sergio Roberto entering the midfield this season is it's really interesting because his forward runs, and we've seen what he can do, uh, and not just in big, big moments, but he doesn't necessarily control the game overtly well. He doesn't necessarily uh, ping the most beautiful passes the way Iniesta did, but he does everything at an above-average rate where I don't think you lose that much having Sergio Roberto start in so many matches. So, Miko, let's try to answer a little bit, not an easier question, but a simpler topic queuing on, on just one player, that being Lionel Messi. AS is reporting that Messi could be offered a lifetime contract, which, if accepted, would indicate that he would come back to the club or could come back to the club in some capacity down the road uh, in the same way that Iniesta signed his and left after just one year. I'm not saying that Messi is leaving next year. That's not what that would be about. But if he does sign that lifetime contract uh, and he chooses to stay in football, do you see him at the club uh, post-football? And in what capacity do you think a personality like Messi's would would fill a role? Well, that's a... (sighs) That's a great question, and um, well, it's not an easier one. <laughs> no, no, no. It's I, I, I bring my Patreons on to challenge you guys the way you guys help and challenge right. me. <laughs> um, let's let, let's start with the live contract of Iniesta. I think this is this is a compliment, or this was a compliment, to the guy uh, humble as he is, and so emblematic for the club. And uh, you have to you have to pick the right guy for it. Probably even Xavi would be would be that guy, but. Um, I assume the board came just a couple of years later with that idea, right? To compliment one of the one of the future legends, or even now they are legends of the club, right? So I, I definitely would think that giving Messi a lifetime contract is something that you have to do based on experience with Iniesta, because Messi is um, nothing less than Iniesta, even even more. He is probably a bit more defining of the the stage that we're currently in with uh, with uh, Barcelona. So um, I think offering Messi the, this contract is uh, is a must. Obviously, I don't know the uh, how this contract will we will play out, right? So we cannot afford to pay Messi 50 million a year for 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 the next 10 years, right? This this would be ridiculous. But I think Messi is uh, in 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 such terms the right guy because he is as humble as Iniesta. He is uh, definitely an icon of the club, and I don't think he would like to hurt the club in any way uh, by taking advantage of such, such contract. So I definitely see the club doing so and offering Messi a contract. Um, what role would he play? Uh, I really think because he loves football so much, he would play a couple of more years, definitely, probably until 37 or something. Um well, he's said a couple of times that he wants to end his career uh, in uh, in Argentina. Uh, I'm not sure how this would play out because he also said like his life and his family, they're so accustomed to Spain and to Barcelona. So probably there is, a, let's say, um, other than fo- football aspects um, playing part into that decision. It's a good point with uh, Iniesta and Messi. It, it, obviously, this lifetime contract, when you talk about whether it's Guardiola or Xavi, Puyol, Pique, there are other personalities that have come through the club that you think fill these other roles uh, that are much more in front of the, the cameras, if you will, 
but yes. for Messi and Iniesta, I, I think you, I think uh, you never said the name, but um, the term I think where the title would be an ambassador. And I think you know having Iniesta at the moment at Vissel Kobe, it's going to bring me directly into my last question for you. But having him at Vissel Kobe, uh, being even though he's wearing a different uniform and he's not attached to the Barcelona uh, crest at the moment, he's still an ambassador along with David Villa at the moment uh, and Sergi Samper. They're ambassadors for for FC Barcelona. I mean, he's an, an FC Barcelona legend that I mean that those in Japan are excited to watch and see uh, in their country, um, and that it, to a degree that's what Iniesta is almost serving as now, and he's still playing. Uh, as an ambassador, and Xavi did the same thing uh, when he went to Qatar. I mean, he really just was not an extension of FC Barcelona, but you have this legend of of this club in some in another place. And um, basically, because he's been so affiliated with the club for so long, anywhere that Messi goes, he winds up being an ambassador for FC Barcelona. Uh, so whether or not uh, you have the title of a lifetime contract behind that, uh, I, I think is you know I guess an unnecessary point, but I think as a gesture to Messi's character to offer him that, you know, obviously does make a lot of sense, regardless of how many years more he expects to play in Barcelona or expects to play as professional. Uh, and so that leads right into the final question for you today, Mitko, and for us on the show. Andorra FC, uh, we've talked about this now many months ago, but it's back in the news. A team that Gerard Piquet has a large stake in bought a place in Segunda Bay with Barcelona Bay, same division, to place Reus, to replace Reus, uh, the Catalan club that was liquidated. It got zero points, and uh, it's a shame. Uh, they're a club with a little bit of history, um, not a ton, but they have been around for quite some time. So it, it's a real shame if they uh, you know, completely have to shut their doors, and uh, we'll see potentially a merger, something like that, uh, with Reus for down the road. But again, uh, their time is going to be done for a little while. Um, but unrelated... Thomas Vermellion is heading to Vissel Kobe to join the Spanish and former Barcelona contingent in Japan, as we already talked about. Uh, and there's clearly a relationship between Barcelona and Vissel Kobe as well. Uh, and because Gerard Piquet is a current Barcelona player, there is no actual you know, headline AP copy uh, connection between Andorra FC and Barcelona. But if a player of one team has a large stake in a group just two divisions down, uh, I, I don't see how you avoid some kind of, uh, we'll say, just, you know, relationship there. So my question for you, Miko, is I wonder what benefits Barcelona would really have in sending players to another Segunda Bay team or a team in Japan instead of other teams in the first division or second division in Spain. Uh, I think the, you can, I'll give you an out here and ask you basically a yes or no question with, you know, could Vizel Kobe, I don't know how Andorra FC fits into this, but could Vissel Kobe maybe just be a marketing connection? Uh, and for Andorra FC, this might just be a PK thing only. I don't know, Miko. Do you think that this is all some kind of big master plan to you know, cultivate talent in different places, different locations, and uh, have more avenues to easily monitor our players by sending them to different locations? Well, um, as far as the story for um, Kobe goes, I do think it, it's a bit more marketing than football aspects. Um, because Japan, as quickly as they're developing their football, um, let's say, culture, um, they do not strike me as the best place to um, get young talents from or to develop young talents, I mean, by sending them to develop other young talents, right? Um, I do think they're trying to put even a bigger foot into the Asian market 
Therefore, uh, they signed this contract, and um, as far as I as far as I know, they uh, Barcelona will would help scouting for Kobe. Um, they will exchange players definitely, which could be beneficial for both sides, uh, but not necessarily would develop so strong a Barcelona player. Um, and they would also agree to share. Uh, I don't know, the tactical meetings or coaching meetings so that probably, and I'm, I'm just assuming here, uh, the guys from Lisa and Kobe learn the Barcelona way and probably not the other way around. So uh, I, I do think that the, the, the football benefits from the Japan connection are rather small for Barcelona. Uh, and as far as um, the PK adventure with Andorra FC goes, I, I really do think this is his journey and this is his way of uh, getting into football. Um, a lot of guys are talking, oh, he's just preparing to be next Barcelona president, so he just wants to play a bit of football manager in real time or something. I, I, maybe this is part of the whole thing, I don't know, but um, I do think that he is quite adventurous in terms of his businesses. And FC Andorra is definitely a, uh, a big step for him. Uh, great, uh, great opportunity, great adventure. Um, I think I read today or yesterday it was in the news that he bought another club, or maybe just a controlling package. I don't know. He bought another club in Catalonia, uh, which has only um, cadet um, levels yep. of players. Yep. So. Uh, maybe he is trying to replicate La Masia on his own by having by having cadets in one club, sending them to play in Secunda Bay for the other or something. I don't know. I don't see how Piquet plays a part between Andorra and Barcelona in terms of exchanging talents and players. Um, I really think this, this is Piquet on his own um, unless in a couple of years he indeed um, wants to put his foot into the um, uh, into the management of FC Barcelona, and then I'm I'm really curious uh, how how it will went because obviously if uh, FC Andorra progresses a bit, then you would start having conflict of interest and all this other legal stuff, but actually not so legal. So it's it's also basic basic sense, right? That you cannot wish for the best for two clubs and they compete each other against each other but um, I, I don't know let's see let's see let's see wh where it goes i definitely think the japan uh, japan uh, affair is more into breaking this 1 billion mark in terms of revenues and um, fc andorra is um, yeah pk being a captain of his business well, Miko, I, I think I asked you some pretty difficult questions. Uh, you got some much harder ones than Mike and Scott, but I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, and just as I told them, I really, really, really appreciate uh, you as a Patreon, and I'm happy that we were able to get you back on the show again. This is one of the perks of being a Patreon. Uh, so, Miko, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks, Dan. It was a pleasure. And there you have it, 150 shows in the books. Thank you so much to our three Patreons who joined us on today's episode and to help us celebrate the big 150. 
And thank you to the listeners for supporting us in the ways that you do as well by just listening to the show. And there's a few other things you can do to help out. You know what those are, including tapping in your app and checking out the show notes and subscribing to the show. Finding us on social media on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13 for me and on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. The closed Facebook group, tbpod.link backslash group, deeper dives, discussions, and fill out those three questions and we'll get you in the group. Again, you have to fill out those questions or I cannot put you in the group. Again, we just want people that are actually serious about trying to have those deeper discussions and being part of that closed Facebook group. And finally, you heard from them today. This is one of the benefits and gifts that you get by being a Patreon. And these are the guys that helped us continue to make so many shows at tvpod.link backslash Patreon, where you can also get the quick take match reviews. We're also on YouTube now at the Barcelona Podcast. Check us out and hit that subscription button to help us out there as well. So thanks again so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And for the Barca. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.